They spank us. Yeah. Thankfully for some of us, that's over. You're, gl- you're glad about that, Mom. Yeah, they do all, they do all kinds of things. I remember, uh, I'm the oldest of four, and um, I can remember as a young boy, um, there was a period of time where we were supposed to take naps inside the home, and, um, you know, Mom had four of us. We were all very young. I don't know, I must have been six or something like that. So uh, there was a baby, you know, baby Josh, and little two-year-old Nathan, and Little Heather, who was nearly perfect, you know, and there was me. And, um, and I, I remember telling mom, you know, I wasn't tired. You know, I told her every time we had to take a nap, I wasn't tired, you know. And uh, I can remember I would sneak. There were a couple. This didn't happen all the time. I have a wonderful mother, by the way. But I gave her a run for her money, I suppose, on a couple of occasions. But I remember sneaking out of the house. And I remember sneaking past her while she was on the couch. And uh, I would get outside the house and I would climb. Do you remember the old TV antennas that were mounted to the house? I would climb the TV antenna because there was a beautiful view from the roof. And I would walk around the roof while the rest of the house was napping. And uh, I did that a few times. And then on one occasion, my younger sister Heather was awake for... You know, I mean, she was getting older. She's pretty stable on her feet. And so I invited her to go for a walk on the roof with me. And uh, but then everything, Nathan ruined everything. Nathan had had a messy diaper or something like that. And my mom was up when she was supposed to be sleeping, you know, and and there I was. And I remember I'm on the uh, TV antenna halfway up. And mom had come to the window and she's got Nathan and he's on the changing table and she's changing his diaper and everything. And Heather was right beneath me on her way up, too. And I'm looking down. There's my mom. There's my sister. And it was kind of like, go back down. And Heather wasn't getting the message. And so then it was, well, we got to go up. You know, you can't go back down. So here we're going up. And I kept going slowly and mom's changing Nathan's diaper. And then I'll never forget. Mom looked up (laughs) and she saw Seth and Heather on the TV antenna going up. I think Heather went down. If I remember he's right, I went up and mom came out and was telling me to get down right now, and which I did. And so it was all. But mom's put up with a lot of stuff, you know, and uh, I don't remember how many spankings I got for that. But my mother, she was a, she is to this day a very kind and gracious person, very forgiving. And I'm a testimony to that because I'm still alive here today. <clears throat> You know, when I think of mothers, I, I think of I think of the things that they do, the little things like staying home with a sick child, like caring for their children, like continually putting their children ahead of themselves. Moms have desires. Moms have dreams. Moms have goals. Moms have feelings. They get tired. Um, there are other things moms would rather do. And yet they continually put others before themselves. And in that way, they're servants. Um, the Bible teaches us the role of a husband and a wife. The Bible teaches us the role of a dad, how to be a dad, how to be a father, and uh, for a mother, how to be a mother. And the Bible teaches selflessness. And, and so when a born-again believing mother embraces the role that God has given her, And some of this is natural, but some of it is unnatural to put others continually before themselves. They're really serving the Lord. And beyond that, they're examples to us of obedience, of obeying God's plan. They're examples to us of faith, taking God at his word, God giving a a mother instruction on how to be a mother, leading that mother by his spirit within them to care and selflessly give of themselves throughout a large portion of their lives. Our uh, speaker over the couples retreat, which it was wonderful, but he made the comment in conversation with Cindy and I during our time with him. He said, you know, parenting never ends. And I said, it doesn't, (laughs) you know, he said it doesn't. He was sick. He's 65. He said it doesn't end. 
It changes some, but it never ends. And I think of that for a mother. You know, a mother for a lifetime gives of herself. It's not about her and her way, but it's about others. It's about serving others continually. And so when I think of that, I think of mothers as tremendous examples to the rest of us. And mothers are not perfect, right? But I think of mothers as a tremendous example to the rest of us of how we need to embrace what God has called us and given us to do and to do that selflessly. We're going to look in 2 Kings at a mom. She was a widow, actually. She had no husband. Her husband died. And she had children. She had two sons, the Bible says, and she had nothing. And in the narrative, we find that Elisha is the prophet of Israel at this time, and uh, one of them, and uh, the primary one, we might say. And this, this woman, this, this younger mother, who is a widow, who has nothing, her boys were about to be taken from her, and they were about to become uh, indentured servants, a form of slavery, to pay off the debt that her deceased husband had brought upon their family. And she was at the end of herself. And so when we think about mothers being an example to us, I think of a mother who is mothering and following and embracing God's plan for her life. I think of a woman of faith. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. He said this, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, that is in thee, Timothy, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lois, and thy mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in thee also. Interesting. Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, the Spirit of God brings, his, bring to, his, brings to his mind this memory. Uh, he looks at Timothy and he realizes Timothy has become a man of faith. Timothy is the kind of man who's embracing God's will for his life. Uh, he loves and knows the word of God. His life is being guided and directed according to the word of God. And the spirit of God, through the Apostle Paul, connects that obedience and that faith in the life of a young pastor, Timothy, to the faith of his grandmother and the faith of his mother. Sometimes I think a mom feels like there's so many things she has to do and there's so many things that because of all the things she has to do that she will never do or can never do. And yet the faith of a mother, the faith of the mother in the life of, and the grandmother in the, in the life of Timothy was transferred from them, from his grandmother and mother to him. And Timothy would become a pastor. So I want to consider, and I want our faith to grow as we consider the faith of this mother. Look at our text, 2 Kings chapter 4. I'll read beginning in verse 1. He says this, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto, the, unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. So her husband was a godly man. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. It's a form of slavery. They would not have been taken into slavery forever. It would have been a period of time, maybe years, depending on how great the debt was. Verse 2. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me what, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. And then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him, and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, and brought the vessels unto her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet an, another vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. And then she came and told the son of God, and he said to the man of God, excuse me, and he said, go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. This is an incredible story of God's ability and God's provision when some, someone who believes in him has nothing 
and has no ability of themselves to meet their own needs. What does a person do who, do, who does not have the wherewithal to provide for themselves? What does a person do who, do who does not have the discipline to overcome a besetting sin? What does a person do when they do not have the ability? And the answer is God. God is our deliverer. God is our Savior. And we're going to see that in our text. And we're going to see the faith of a mother. Let's pray, and then we'll look at this passage together. Father, thank you so much for your word, that it is true, that in it there is no error. Thank you for your spirit who teaches us. I pray that he will have freedom within this room, within our hearts. This message is not a message only for mothers. It's a message for all of God's people. It's a message for all people, really, about faith. Father, thank you for our mothers in this church. Thank you for the struggle that they have embraced. Thank you that they continue to pursue your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his likeness in their lives. Thank you that they have not given up. Thank you for their example to us. I pray that today would be a day of encouragement to them. Lord, I pray that they would grow to love you more. I pray that their faith would grow. And I pray that you would be glorified. Bless now your word in our hearts. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, if it takes a miracle for God to keep his promise, God will do it. If it takes a miracle for God to keep his promise, God will do it. So we have this wife, right, in verse number one. He, she's the wife of a ministerial student. He was someone who was attending the school of the prophets in those days. And uh, when he passed away, he left his wife desolate. She had nothing. She left her husband, excuse me, he left her, his wife in debt. So not only did she have very little next to nothing, she says, she has a place to stay, but she has a little, a little bit of oil and that was it. There's nothing left for her. She has nothing. And, and her husband died and left her in this situation. There are a few lessons we can learn from this narrative that I'm not going to teach and preach on this morning. But one is that God is in control of every situation and has reasons for why things happen in our lives. I'm not going to talk too much about that, but that's one lesson we can learn. Another lesson is that Christian men shouldn't go so deep into debt that they subject their families to terrible consequences in the, in the event of their death. Okay, We could talk more about that. We're not going to. Number three. Uh, another lesson we could learn is that God can perform miracles to meet our needs. In other words, we can trust God. Maybe when a husband has not made wise decisions. We don't know why he was in debt the way to the degree he was. Maybe a husband is not making wise decisions, but a wife can trust the Lord to meet her needs. Uh, so I want to see this mother's faith, and, and I see it in four ways in the text. Number one. This mother sought comfort from the Lord. I see that she's a woman of faith because she sought God and comfort from him. Look at verse number one again. It says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Now, who is Elisha? Well, Elisha was a prophet. Um, a prophet in the Old Testament was someone who would, would God would speak to audibly, and the prophet would hear the message from God, and then the prophet would speak. He would repeat the message that God had told him, that God had given him. He would repeat that message to the other people. Remember, the people in those days did not have the message of God in the form of the word of God in those days. They did not have it. They did not have copies of it. Okay, How many copies of the word of God are represented in this room this morning? Many. And we've got different copies. We've got copies on our phones. right? We have multiple copies in our homes. But in those days, they didn't have the word of God in that way. And so God gave prophets. And prophets would deliver his message to his people. And Elisha was a prophet. And he was a great man. He was one of the miracle workers of the Bible. 
Elisha's ministry spanned 50 years, 5-0, 50 years. Elisha was a prophet. And so he was a prophet of God, and he was delivering God's message. And so we see this heartsick mother speaking to the messenger of God. What is she doing? What is she doing coming to the man who speaks the word of God? What is she doing uh, coming to the man this way? And in reality, I would simply say this. She was seeking the Lord. She was seeking God. That's what this woman was doing. She's a widow. She has nothing. She has two sons who are about to be taken away from her to pay the debt. She's a young mom. She's at her wit's end. And what is this young mom doing? Well, she is seeking the comfort of God. In our society, and it's not just mothers, but in our society today, people seek comfort in every, every avenue of life. In entertainment, ungodly things, athletics, uh, sports, participating in sports, watching sports, right? Hunting, whatever. The equivalent today of this woman seeking the Lord would be a heartbroken believer seeking the help of God by opening his word. And, and, and we, can, we, we all have a choice to make. We can either walk by faith, and that would result in us seeking the comfort of God and his word, seeking his comfort through prayer, seeking his comfort by gathering with God's people to hear the word of God, to hear God speak to our hearts, to minister to our hurting hearts, to encourage uh, dis- disappointed discouraged hearts, or we can seek the comfort that this world can bring. And so she's coming, she's seeking the help of God, and she and she's asking God to give her comfort and strength uh, to her. So how, how much did this broken woman need comfort and strength and encouragement and wisdom? She needed, she didn't know what to do. And all of us need comfort, and we all need strength throughout our lives. Sometimes we realize our need We need it more than at other times. Sometimes we don't think we need it at all. We just go through life as if, you know, we don't even acknowledge God at times. And I would ask you this morning, are you looking in the right place for comfort? Are you looking in the right place for strength? Are you looking to the Lord for comfort? Are you looking to God Almighty for strength? In Isaiah 41 and verse 10, the Bible says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That is God. As Pastor Tolman saying, our firm foundation. This world is changing daily. Relationships change. People change. God never changes. And he always does what is right. And he is eternally good. And we can trust him. And she's seeking him. She's seeking his comfort. In Psalm 42 and verse 5, the Bible says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? David speaking to himself. Why are you so depressed? Why are you so discouraged? And he speaks to his own soul. And he says, And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. Speaking to himself. We could learn from David in that way. The next time we're discouraged or the next time we find our desires taking us down a path where they ought not go, we could say, why am I struggling like this? Hope in the Lord, Seth. Hope in God. And then he says, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Psalm 119 and verse 50 says, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. My comfort in affliction, the psalmist says, is the word of God that comforts me when I'm afflicted. Matthew 5 and verse 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So this mother is seeking comfort from the Lord. That, to me, is a sign of faith. She's seeking, she knows where to go in her time of need. You know, sometimes God uses those who are serving him to comfort others. We see that in mothers in particular. Just yesterday, Cindy and I arrived home from the couple's retreat, and I was speaking to William about something, and um, I took the dad approach, which was kind of like, was strong and man up, Will. And, um, And Cindy didn't undermine me, but... Uh, in tandem, she took a motherly approach. 
And she hugged him and held him, and she encouraged him. Now, dads, we ought to do the same. But just by her fulfilling her role as a mother, she comforted her son. And as God's children, many of us are not mothers in this room, we can be used by God to be a comfort to others. Now, God is the comforter. The Spirit of, of the Lord is the comforter. He lives within us and he comforts us. But God wants to use us to comfort other people. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 11, the Bible says this, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So this is something you're already doing, Paul says. And then in verse 14, he says, he goes on, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. So, we're off, we often benefit from the comfort that other believers give to us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says this, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distresses, listen to this, by your faith. So Paul, remember, he recounts how there was a time where he and his fellow servants were under immense persecution and they were suffering afflictions. And he says to those that church at Thessalonica, he says, you know, in our afflictions, in our time of trial and hurt and grief and suffering, we were comforted by your faith. I, as a pastor, many times have been comforted by the faith of my brothers and sisters in Christ within this assembly. I have been comforted, I have been encouraged, I have been strengthened many times by your faith, faith of individuals in this room. And I'm not just talking about fellow pastors or, fellow, or, or deacons within our church. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, some who are young in the Lord, some who have been saved for a matter of a few months, and others who have been saved for a long time. But, uh, and I'm not talking about people who are perfect either, because there aren't any. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ who are, are in the struggle between right and wrong. And they are not giving up on following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing hardships that are out completely out of their control. And, and at times they may struggle with what God is doing in their lives and they may struggle with the goodness of God and how is God good in my situation or did I, what have we done to deserve this? And yet they continue to believe the word of God and the leading of the spirit of God in their lives that God is good. Your faith has comforted me time and time and time again. And I dare say it's not just me, but your, your faith has comforted many of your brothers and sisters in Christ continually within this church. And, and so, are you willing to trust the Lord? Are you, are you willing to obey the Lord? And in, in, in so doing, be a comfort to others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That's, that's a lot. There's a lot there. And the Spirit of God is teaching the church at Corinth. He's saying, are you willing to go through tribulation yourselves? Are you willing to endure temptation yourself? Are you willing to keep pressing toward the mark, the prize, the Lord Jesus Christ, are you willing to keep saying yes to the Spirit of God even after you've said no to the Spirit of God? Are you willing to endure the trials and tribulations and so, in so doing be comforted by God so that when you see another brother or sister in Christ who's enduring hardness and suffering and maybe falling and stumbling or being persecuted from without so that you can come alongside of them and encourage and comfort them? It really is impossible sometimes to come alongside someone else and comfort them when we ourselves have not experienced the comfort of God personally. And, and all of us face different things. 
There are people who have faced things in this room that many of us have never, ever faced before. The mantra of our world is this, well, you've never experienced what I have. All of us could say that to one another, and yet all of us have faced temptations and tribulations and trials of different sorts that were incredibly real, potent, could have derailed us, and yet God comforted us. And so we seek to comfort and love one another. I look at, I see the faith of this woman, this mother, and that she sought the comfort from the Lord. Secondly, I see the faith of this mother and that she was honest about her situation. She was honest about her situation. Look again at verse number one, and I'll look at the latter part, the middle part. And look what she says to Elisha. She says, uh, thy servant, Elisha, thy servant, my husband is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. She's very honest. And I'll say it this way. We need to be honest with God about the situation. Whatever it is, whatever situation you're in, be honest with God. It's actually a sign of faith. It's not faith. It's not faith that ignores reality. That's not faith. It's not faith that says, you know what, I'm going to fake it until I make it. That's not faith. It's not faith that, that pretends that bad things don't exist or that things are not in good condition, whether it be a marriage or whether it be the, the situation with the children or whether it be financial or whatever it may be, whether it be personal within us. It's not faith that just says, you know what, I'm just pretending that everything's okay. When it's not. No, the faith is being honest with God about our situations. And this, this young mother was. You know, we, we are honest and we're transparent with people that we trust. Have you ever noticed that? We, we, we communicate in a very plain, transparent way with people that we trust. And so the question is, do you trust the Lord? Do you trust God? Do you communicate with him very honestly? Lord, I'm struggling today. Now, he knows this already. This is not a measure of his faithfulness. This is a measure of our understanding of who he is. Do we know him as Abba Father? Do we know him as the one who loves us? The one who is good? The one who is righteous? The one who is full of mercy, his mercy endureth to all generations. Do we know him as being a gracious God who forgives us time and time and time again? This is about you and me being honest with ourselves about who God really is. Now, he never gives up on us and he never is going to give up on us. And this young mom, she seeks the Lord in going to the prophet and now she's being honest with him about the situation the suffering of this poor mother, I imagine she was in her 30s, maybe early 30s, maybe in her 20s. It was immense. She cries, it says in verse 1. She tells us that she's in this helpless grief. She's in this poverty. Uh, uh, she finds herself, and she says, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Her husband, her provider, her protector, the father of her sons, her leader, her companion, I don't know how close they were, how, how close their friendship one with another was, but her friend was dead. And I wonder if this young mom was disillusioned with God. I mean, her husband had been willing to follow Elisha the prophet and be his servant. He could have done other things. The Bible doesn't tell us how he died. But here we have this young couple, this relatively young couple, and all, of her, all their hopes and dreams are gone. And in this day, in this era of 2 Kings chapter 4, a widow, a widow indeed would have had nothing. She would have become a beggar immediately. They were going to take her two sons away to pay some debts. This woman very possibly would have been a beggar. So she's lost everything. There was no governmental system, as we know of one in our country today, to provide for this woman. I wonder if she was disillusioned with God. And she tells him there in verse 1, she says of her husband, he did fear the Lord, 
and God had let him die. God had taken her husband away from her. And, and now she, he's taking away her two sons. And from her perspective, I think God had allowed her to be left alone in poverty and in debt, unable to provide for herself or her sons. And they were, they were about to be taken away to pay her, the, the, her husband's debt. This, this poor mom was in a terrible situation. She didn't have a husband. She didn't have income. She didn't know what to do. She's about to lose her sons. Her life might well have seemed to, to her that it was over, maybe even that it wasn't worth living at all. And can I encourage you this morning to be honest with God about your situation? Be honest with God about your situation. You can tell things to God that you cannot tell to anybody else. I know that. My question is, are you telling those things to God? Are you, are you talking to him? Are you communicating with him? Don't, don't make your situation out to be worse than it is, but don't sugarcoat it either. Be honest with God about your situation. You know, we, we all experience joys in life, don't we? And then we all experience heaviness at times in our lives. Trust the Lord and tell him all about it. I'm going to read to you a little bit of a hymn. There's a large green basket in there. I almost spilled it. The hymn written, I Must Tell Jesus, by Elisha Hoffman. He says, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. He is a kind, compassionate friend. If I but ask him, he will deliver, make of my troubles quickly an end. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior, one who can help my burdens to bear. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, he all my cares, all my cares and sorrows will share. Oh, how the world to evil allures me, he writes. Oh, how my heart is tempted to sin. I must tell Jesus, and he will help me over the world the victory to win. And then the refrain says, I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. We need to come to that conclusion, this conclusion of faith. This conclusion of faith. And that's where this young mom was. She's seeking the comfort from the Lord. She's honest with God about her situation. Do you think do you think that this mom had enough? Do you think this mom had what she needed for her situation? Yes or no? I mean, from a worldly perspective, right? A godless perspective. She doesn't. She doesn't. Her life is over. Her life is over. In many ways, she doesn't have enough. Look at verse number two. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? I've read that and I've wondered, wow, Elisha. <laughs> yeah. She pours out her heart. My husband is dead. They're going to take my two sons away from me. I, I, I have nothing. And his response is, what do you want me to do? I don't know if that was his tone. Okay. What shall I do for you? I mean, you know, it's interesting. As pastors, sometimes we don't know. What do you need? Well, uh, my husband back? Them not to take my sons away. I, I need a lot of money to pay off a debt, right? He asked her this, what, what shall I do for thee? And then he asked, tell me, what hast thou in thy in the house? And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. What hast thou in the house? And so I ask you this morning, what do you have? You may look at your situation and maybe, and I don't know of anybody in our church who's in this this widow's situation as a mom, but I ask you, all of you, not just moms, but moms included, what do you have? What has God given you? And I want you to think about that because at times in our lives where we are, we've become so fixed on what we don't have that we do not stop to consider what God has provided us with. And he asks her, what do you have? And I ask you, what has God supplied you with? You say, well, he hasn't given me health. 
Has he given you children? Tell me about your children. You say, he, he hasn't given me a husband. Or he's taken my husband. Or he's taken my wife. Well, what, what do you have? He hasn't given me victory over a particular sin. Well, what has he given you? And I want you to think about his grace. And I want you to think about his goodness. And I want you to think about his faithfulness. And I want you to, I want you to remember that God is good. And I want you to remember the blessings that God has surrounded us with. And, and, and the reality is, if you find yourself in a situation like this widow woman, it is very hard to remember the good things that God has given us. Isn't it? So this is an exercise of this woman's faith. Now, what if she had just said, I have nothing and stomped off? What if she hadn't considered what she did have? Now, she didn't have much. She had very little. But what if she had just stomped away? She doesn't. She answers, and again, I ask you, what do you have? And can I ask you this? Are you willing to use what God has given you for, the, for him? Some of us would say, I don't have many more years on this earth. I ask you again, are you willing to use what he has given you for him? You say, I'm struggling with this. Well, are you willing to use this for the Lord? Are you willing to obey him with what he has provided you with? Because that's what is going to be asked of this, this, this woman. There are several instances in the Bible where people didn't have what they thought they needed. And I don't think this woman thought she had what she needed. And in all these situations, God asked them what they had. And I'll, and I'll, I'll remind you of them. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 4? where Moses is before the Lord. And Moses, he's saying, I can't, I can't speak, and I can't do this, and I don't have what I need. And God asks him, he says, what is that in thine hand? And what was in his hand, do you remember? Staff, a rod. Now, what was it that Moses was being asked of God to do? The big picture was, you're going to go stand before Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell you what to say, and he's going to let the people go, and you're going to lead um, hundreds of thousands of people who have been slaves for a long, long time and have no real culture of their own as an independent nation in unity out of Egypt, a world power at that time. And Moses is a little bit overwhelmed by this at this point in his life. And God had to bring Moses to the point in his life where he realized that all he needed was God. Yeah, that's fine, Pastor, but I, I, need, I need money. I know, I know, Pastor, all I need is God, but, but I need wisdom. Yeah, yeah, okay, Pastor, obviously, everybody knows, everybody needs God, but, but um, I need I need this in my marriage. I need this in my life. I need this to happen in my children. I need this to happen in my business. I need this to happen nationally within our country. I know that all I need is God, but I need this. And we have a list of things. We all have a list of things. I need this to happen. And, and, and God asked Moses, what is that in thine hand? And Moses says, you know, it's a stick. It's a staff. It's a rod. And God tells him, throw it on the ground. And God's going to prove to him that God can take what we think isn't all that important. Now, his rod was, had some value. But what could be replaced? God, he wants you. He wants you to say, Lord, have your way in my life. Take what I have, Lord, and use it for your glory. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus offered to feed a great multitude of people, and there was not enough food. And that's a mother's nightmare, isn't it? 
right? Not enough food. And so the disciples, they find a small boy, and he had brought a lunch to the event. And what was in his lunch? Five loaves and two fish. And there were thousands of people there. And I think this is hilarious that the disciples bring him to Jesus at all. He tells them, get some food together and we'll feed everybody. And they go out and they look and they're wondering and they're coming up, you know, how can we get enough money? We can't buy, we don't have enough money. And they're thinking about all these things and from a human perspective. And then they bring the small boy to Jesus. Five loaves and two fish, that's all he has. And you know what Jesus asked? He asked him a question too. He said, how many loaves have ye? Now, I don't know if that question has to be asked. It's a small boy with a small lunch. We got a lot of people here. Like, who cares how many loaves he has, really, right? I mean, what does that have to do with feeding all of these people? Well, it has everything to do with it. It's, it's not just a silly question. Even though there were thousands of hungry people, uh, how many loaves have you? It's obviously not enough, Lord. Why ask the question? And the answer is this. What we possess is never enough while it is in our control. It's never enough when it's in our control. But it is always more than enough when it is in God's control. A little bit of oil, not nearly enough to pay the debt in her control, but more than enough when in God's control. Just a rod, not enough, not nearly enough to deliver Israel out of bondage and slavery that had been going on for hundreds of years, not nearly enough with a man who claimed to stutter and couldn't speak well and didn't have the confidence to do what God was asking him to do, not nearly enough when in his control, but more than enough when in God's control. Just a small boy, just a small boy. Hey, don't forget your lunch. Oh, Mom, nobody else is taking a lunch to this thing. No, I'm going to look geeky with a lunch. You know, I mean, nobody else apparently had a lunch. I don't know what the problem was. Why didn't everybody else have their own lunch? I don't know what they were thinking. Apparently, it was a thing. Don't bring lunch. Well, he, he, I don't know that he wanted to bring lunch either, but he's got his lunch. He doesn't hold it back. How many loaves do you have in there? Five. That'll work. That'll work. How many loaves do you have? What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your possession? What is it that God has blessed you with? Just a stick. Hey, that was worth something to God, wasn't it? You have a stick? You got a lot of them in my backyard right now. Just a little bit of oil. Not nearly enough. We're all going to die. We're all going to, they're going to be taken into slavery. There's no way out of this. I'm going to be a beggar. And this is the point. What we have is not enough as long as we're controlling it. But if we'll give it to God, he'll use it miraculously. He'll use it miraculously. You know, when we look at this uh, Moses staff being nothing more than a staff until he followed God's direction. When we think about the mother's pot of oil wasn't nearly enough until she did what God told her to do with it. The small boy's lunch was entirely insufficient until he gave it to the Lord of, of heaven and earth. And God took an old staff and proved that he was almighty God. And God used some oil in the bottom of a pot to demonstrate that he can be trusted to provide. And God used a small boy's lunch to nourish and satisfy thousands of people. And maybe you're right. Maybe you don't have enough. Maybe you don't have much at all. Do you have an old staff? Do you have a little pot of oil? Let God use it. Look at the mother's humility. So I see that she, this faith, this faith of the mother was demonstrated by, as she was sought comfort from the Lord and she was honest with God about her situation. But look at her humility in verse 3. Then he said, go, borrow, th borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. Borrow as many as you can. Empty vessels. I mean, that sounds sensible, right? You have a pot with a little bit of oil. Go get as many pots as you can find all over the neighborhood. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. 
And so she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. A couple of quick things. She listened very closely to the words of God. In this time of distress and agony and heartache and grief, this this young mom listened very, very closely to the words and the instruction of God through his prophet Elisha. Now you have his word. I'm not a prophet. I'm a pastor. I'm not a prophet. This book is God's revelation of himself to you. It's his love letter to you. He's telling you this is who I am. This is who you are. This is who you aren't. But this is who I am. This is God's love letter from himself to you. Are you listening very closely to what God is telling you to do? She did. She listens very. She didn't make excuses. She didn't say that's ridiculous. That's not going to work. I mean, that's what I would have thought. Even now, I know the end of the story. And I think this is a bad idea. How is this going to help her? She's now what is she going to do with all these pots that she's borrowed? She's going to owe people more pots and have a bunch of empty pots. Like, what's the what's the point of this? There's no point in this from a human perspective. But there was from God, God's perspective. And sometimes in our lives, we look at situations in our lives and relationships in our lives and and failures and losses in our lives. And we say, what's the point of this? I don't understand this. God has a purpose for everything that happens in every one of our lives, every one of our lives, his purpose. Some of you may feel like you're gathering a bunch of pots from all over the neighborhood. What's the point? But she didn't. She didn't disagree with God's message, and she obeyed completely. She did exactly what she was commanded to do, and maybe you've gotten off track from obeying the Lord. And so I say to you, If that is the case, then confess your disobedience to the Lord as sin and agree with him and get back on track. Let him renew a right spirit within you. Let him revive you again. Let him fill you with his spirit again. Uh, John Samus wrote this. He said, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Look at verse 6. And I'll end with this. She did everything she could. What are the marks of faith in this young mother? Well, she sought comfort from the Lord. She was honest with God about her situation. She was humble. And she did everything that she could. Look at verse 6. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and said, Go, sell the oil that was very valuable, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. God provides. But I can't help but noticing she did everything she possibly could. She's do, she keeps just pouring. She's pouring. She's pouring. <laughs> Another vessel keeps pouring. And it just keeps, every vessel keeps being filled. She went from being poverty stricken to wealthy. She had everything she needed. And you have everything you need in the Lord. You have everything you need in the Lord. You lack nothing. It is the lie of Satan that whispers into our ears. You don't have what you need. You don't have what you need to overcome. You don't have what you need in relationship. You don't have what you need materially or financially. You don't have what you need. And what Satan is really saying is God is not enough. God is not enough. He hasn't met your needs. He won't meet your needs. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about you. You can't depend upon him. And we have all these stories throughout the Bible over and over and over again. And I ask you again, do you have a rod? Do you have five loaves of bread? Do you have a little bit of oil in your in your house? What is it that God has given you? Give it to him and entrust him to take what he has given to you already and multiply and cause you to abound and overcome. Give it to him. 
Give it to him. Don't hold it back. She calls out, bring me yet a vessel. And he says, there's not a vessel more. She hadn't stopped doing what God had told her to do. And God provided for her and her sons. What is it that you do have? You have prayer. You, you can forgive. You can obey. You can love. You can trust the Lord. And the list can go on and on and on. You know that someday, someday, there's coming a day where you're, there's not going to be anything else that comes out of that vessel. Can I encourage you to pour out of your vessel all that God has provided, that all he has poured into you? Pour it out. You will never regret it. Pour it out unto the Lord. What a wonderful mom. She sought comfort from the Lord. She was honest with God about her situation. She was humble. She did all that she could. Psalm 23, 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The Lord will supply physically and emotionally and spiritually as his servants. It is our responsibility to trust him, to trust him. Do you trust him? Many of you do. And yet we're all prone to not, aren't we? Trust him. Make a decision this morning. I'm going to trust him. You might have a specific situation, just a little bit of oil, just a rod, just five loaves. That's all I got. Trust the almighty God of the universe. Trust him. We're going to sing how great thou art. Okay. And as we sing it, and I'd like to sing at least three, Pastor Tolman. I know restaurants are calling. Let's all stand. Would you take your hymnals? Hymn number 28. Number 28. We're going to stand and we're going to sing about how great God is. And I want you to think about your staff. I want you to think about your oil. I want you to think about your five loaves. And I want you to think about that representing you. I don't have what I need, God. I'm not who I need to be. God, you are great. Okay, let's let's lift our voices. Let's see.